going to do now is we're going to get back into our foundations teaching series. And uh, I'm excited, uh, not because it's the last week, but I am excited that it is the last week. This is the last week of our foundation series. And so we're going to close this series by reminding us, one, of kind of where we've come from, but two, you know, where is it that we're supposed to be going with this? And, and so some of the things that we discussed in this series is that Christ is our cornerstone. Right? When you build something on a foundation, you need a, a solid foundation. And Christ, the cornerstone, is that which we build our foundations off of. So we build our life on Christ, and he is building this church on him, the foundation and cornerstone. And the gates of hell will not prevail against us. And, and so what we wanted to do was we wanted to solidify our foundations, whether it's for new believers that are just learning about Christ and the church and what he calls us to, uh, whether it's for new believers or for people who have come from other contexts that are just learning how we think through these things as a local church. And so we've been examining a lot of what it means to be a disciple. See, when we opened the series, we talked about how Jesus gave us the mission to not only be disciples, but to make disciples. It's called the Great Commission. And that Great Commission can be found in Matthew 28. I'm not putting it on the screen. But we're to go, therefore, into all nations, making disciples, baptizing them, and teaching them to obey what he has commanded us. And he will be with us as we go about that journey of disciple making. And it is a journey that we are on. And, and one of the things that we wanted to highlight is that as we're on this journey as individuals and together, that we want to be love, uh, fueled by the love of God as we love God and love others. So we want to be filled up with his love, loving him back, and loving our neighbors, right? And Jesus' mission, the Great Commission, as I just mentioned, really is a model for the mission of the entire global church. And we here at Northwood Church have actually based our mission statement off of the Great Commission. And so what is the mission of our church? Well, I'm going to read it to you, even though I, I would hope that some of you could read it to me right now without, without having to even look at the screen. Ha, does anybody in here remember our mission statement by, by word for word yet? Anybody? I have not one confident soul. One confident soul? Two. Two. <laughs> Okay, just a few. We got a few. I really want to encourage you, please remember this mission. I, we think about this mission in our home all the time. My kids are memorizing this mission statement, and we remind ourselves of this all the time because it's a really biblical, grounded mission statement that makes sense. But it's our church's mission statement, and this is what it is. We exist to build Christ-centered communities that help people know God, grow in Christ, and go in the power of the Holy Spirit until when? Until when? One more time. Put it on the screen. Until when? Yes, we're doing it until Jesus, until Jesus returns. Between now and the moment that Christ comes back for his bride, we've got a mission. We've got a mission to live on, and we want to be faithful to it. And through Foundations, this series, we have been helping people to know God through salvation, helping all of us who even already know God, what it means, just re-solidifying. What does it mean to really know God through salvation, right? We've been helping people to grow in Christ, to experience the transformation of an abiding life in Christ where we're in him and he is in us. And we're bearing fruit that reflects his character. So we've been knowing and growing. And if you know and you grow, if you know God and you grow in Christ, then God's Holy Spirit in you should be compelling you to also what? Go. Yeah. Go in his power. And, and so in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, 
we see that Jesus has already gone on the cross, has already been buried in the grave, has already risen from the grave. He's already shown himself to hundreds of disciples, and now he's getting ready to ascend to take his rightful place at the right hand of the Father in the kingdom of, of, of God. And, and he gives some final instruction to the church, to his disciples, and he says this. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He says, you'll receive power. You'll be my witnesses. What's a witness? Think about a court case. A witness is somebody who saw something and said something about what they saw, right? And so if we're to be the witnesses to Jesus, we saw who Jesus is. They saw who Jesus was. He, he was literally standing there with holes in his hands and feet whatever that looked like exactly, and he's, he's showing himself to them, and, and they're, they're witnessing the risen Savior. Now we carry that testimony as witnesses to him as well. Jesus, in other words, is saying, my disciples will be filled with my spirit, receive my power, go, going to those around them as my witnesses of my gospel, my good news. It's all about him. See, we, we don't like to use my, my, my a lot, because that can come off as kind of self-centered. But Jesus reserves the right to say my, because all things belong to Christ, right? Including us and everything that we are called to do. And he's called us to go to our circles. He's called you to go to your circles, your friends, your family, Judea and Samaria, right? The people you know, or, or uh, Jerusalem and Judea, and then Samaria, the people you don't even like. He calls you to go to the people that... that that you might even have conflict with. You know the Jews and the Samaritans were enemies. And he says, go there too. Don't stop with just your friends and your family. And this, this idea of going in our context is called evangelism. Now that's a $5 word. But I don't have a 50-cent word that make, makes it any clearer, right? Evangelism. It's kind of like Christianese, right? Well, that's, that's good. Sometimes we need some, some Christian vocabulary to help us understand what it is that we're supposed to be doing. Evangelism simply means to preach the gospel. That's it. Evangelism is to preach the gospel or to proclaim the good news. That's what that word gospel means, good news. I already read to you the Great Commission. I'm going to read from Mark chapter 16, another rendering, Mark's Mark, the way that Mark recorded the Great Commission, he said, uh, records Jesus saying to them, go into the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. All people, the ends of the world, right? The whole creation. Then, again, Jesus left. We read that in Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 8, the New Testament church is doing that. They've been faithful to it. And they're going all around all these places serving and witnessing and testifying to the goodness of God, but they're experiencing persecution. And in Acts chapter 8, they were scattered because of the persecution, and those who were scattered went about doing what? Preaching the word. The word. Why? Because the word contains the good news of Christ, the, the promises of God, the instruction that is right for living, the, the eternal security that we have, our living hope, all of that is found within the, the promises of the word of God. So that's what's they, what they preached. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we see Paul the apostle. He's writing to the church at Corinth and he says that we preach Christ crucified. Isn't that the good news, that Christ died for our sins? We've already explored that this morning. 
That is, in essence, the, the gospel message, that he substituted himself in place of us so that we wouldn't have to pay a consequence. And that became a stumbling block to the Jews because they expected that they would earn their way into heaven through the law. Obedience, right? And to the Gentiles, because they had all other kinds of thoughts about what heaven and lordship and all this looked like. And, and so it was f- stupid to them, and, and it was tough for the Jews to accept. Yet still, what did they do? They preached. Even in a hard context where people didn't get it, what did they do? They preached. And every believer is mandated to do this. Even to ourselves, Lee mentioned just a moment ago, you know what we do in, in house church? Which, by the way, if you're not in a, in a small group and you want to gather with us, church at home, go to the Next Steps uh, banner at the back of the auditorium and we will make space for you in any one of those groups. Just let us know and we'll help you get connected. We're happy to do that. But that being said, um, we do preach the gospel even to ourselves, even to those who don't yet or who do already know the gospel. Uh, Paul to the church at Colossae said in the uh, Colossians 1.28, said, Him we proclaim or preach, evangelize, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Did you know that it is our responsibility to one another to preach the good news in wisdom, teaching each other what it means to be a follower of Jesus so that we will mature. We help one another mature. Isn't that incredible that we get to do that together? But we're evangelizing, whether it's to the people in this room, the people in our homes, the people in our workplace, the people on this, wherever it is, we are called to evangelize. Now, the question is why? Why do you need to evangelize, preach and proclaim this message. Well, as all throughout this series, we've been uh, talking about the fact that the foundations of our faith are based on the fact that through God's infinite grace and mercy, he provided his son for us on the cross. And then through the power of the Holy Spirit, he was resurrected after he experienced that horrific death. And because of that, we have salvation and freedom in Christ. Isn't that an incredibly loving testimony Isn't that an incredibly loving act? It's the most loving thing that anyone has ever done and ever will do in all humanity, in all existence. It is the greatest expression of love. And if it's true, if we really believe that, then wouldn't it be unloving if we didn't tell others? Wouldn't it be unloving if we withheld that? Think about it for just a moment. I mean, look. You get a good sales ad from Rouse's. You got a, a $4 watermelon, and you're telling all your friends, you know, you, you need to go down there. They got the seedless watermelons, okay? Four bucks, you never catch a deal like that. Go. <laughs> imagine, if, imagine if somebody's like, like, hey, they're giving, they're paying people's mortgages off. They're, yeah, well, man, oh, Lord, please. <laughs> but we'd be telling every, you, you got to go. There's no limit. They're just paying mortgages off. Go get your mortgage paid off, right? Because we want our debts paid. Christ has paid the greatest debt that we could ever incur, a debt that no human being could ever pay for you. And then sometimes, maybe often, we fail to tell people that he's paying those debts. Go get the watermelon. In... 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, it says all this, the gospel of grace, 
all this. It's a gift from God, right? Just the verse before it said, we've been made new. The old is gone. The new is here. We're transformed peoples. This is a, a it's from God and who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, being made what's wrong, being made right. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Wow. God is reconciling the world to himself. See, all people are born in this sinful reality. And all people have the opportunity to be made right with God through Christ. Now, God is calling people and and choosing people and saying, come, choose what I'm giving you, what I'm offering you. And, and, and that only comes through the shed blood of Jesus and the faith that he gives us. But, but so many people don't know that that's what God is trying to do for them. How will they know if no one goes and tells them? That's what Paul wrote in Romans 10, I think, right? How will they know if no one preaches to them? If you want to know more about this you can go back to week two of the foundation series at northwood.church slash podcast and listen to what we talk about, about the condition of sin that we're born into and our need for a Savior. But, but ultimately, what, what I'm getting at here is that we are ambassadors for Christ. We're called to represent him to the world and are entrusted with sharing the gospel with others. There's a condition that needs to be remedied. We have the answer. We have the, the remedy and, and we're called to go be ambassadors to represent this truth to a people that are desperate for it. And what God wants to do is what we see in the next verse. Not counting your trespasses against you and entrusting to you the message of reconciliation. Therefore, you are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through you. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He says, be reconciled, be saved through Christ. Then go save others. Go bring this message to people. Now that answers, really, in some ways, our, our next question. Who is supposed to evangelize? Who is supposed to evangelize? Is this, is this proclamation of the good news reserved for pastors and pastors alone? I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm going to preach the good news. I'm, gonna stand, I'm standing here today preaching the good news. Yes, I'm going to preach. Okay? Let me preach. <laughs> but... But is it just for me? Of course not. It's for you. It's for me. It's for us. It's for the church down the street. It's for every believer who bears the name of their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's for anyone that's been reconciled to God through Christ, who's been saved. We all bear the responsibility of being an ambassador, going and telling, representing Christ to the world. All of us. All of us. And some of us think that you have to have a pulpit to evangelize. Some of us think that you have to have a pulpit to preach. And that might partly be the church's fault in some senses because while the pulpit does matter and teaching and preaching from the pulpit does matter, God gave teachers and preachers to the church you know, for, for certain reasons, and this is one way that that's expressed. It does matter. We don't want to diminish that. But if we limit it, and the church has unfortunately at times limited what it means to preach and teach and, and to, to bear the good news and, and bring that to the world, and I don't mean Northwood Church, just like our cultural church. Like a lot of people just come to hear instead of coming to be equipped to go. And we want to we shift that thinking, Right? 
And, and so while it is true that, that we are all to go, sometimes it gets confusing about how to go. We're to evangelize every day as we go in every space. And this message of reconciliation, as we, as we represent Christ, we go in his authority, we're appealing to others on his behalf. You know what an ambassador is? An ambassador is somebody who goes on behalf of another, who carries the authority of that person. So if a president sends the, uh, an American ambassador or as a diplomat to another nation, that ambassador is speaking with the same authority that the president might speak almost. It's an extension of his authority, right? And that's how we are with Jesus. We become his mouthpiece. And, and he gives us the authority to speak on his behalf, to represent him. But again, the question becomes, how do we do this? How do we evangelize? Well, I'm going to give you just three Three ways that we evangelize. One, you evangelize with your story. I want to go to Mark chapter 5, and uh, you can bookmark this and read this later. I'm not going to read all of this, but I'm going to give you some context. In Mark chapter 5, Jesus encounters this man who was oppressed. He had this demon or demons uh, named Legion. That's how they identified themselves in this man. I think it's interesting that they, them, the, the demon in in this man represented themselves in the plurality. That's just interesting to me. Um, you know, they recognized Jesus as the son of the most high God. That's what it says in, in that scripture there. And Jesus delivers this man. And now this man was a Gentile. So this Gentile wasn't a Jew. They wouldn't have had any context for the prophetic promise of the Messiah. They wouldn't have known about this Jesus or Messiah that was going to come and set the captives free and deliver the oppressed and preach the good news to the poor. They wouldn't have known about that, okay? But this Gentile man may have heard about this Jesus who was this Jewish rabbi who was saying, that is me who the prophet spoke of. He, that is possible, but we can't say it. The scripture doesn't make that clear. What we do know is that whether he ever heard of Jesus previously or not, he had just heard the testimony of even those demons that were oppressing him when they said, this is the son of the most high God. If you go read, you'll see. And and so this man gets set free from Jesus. And in verse chapter, eight, uh, chapter 5, verse 18, it says, as Jesus was getting into the boat, he's getting ready to go another place, right? He just keeps moving. And, and he's getting into the boat. And the man who had been possessed with demons begged Jesus that he might be with him. Imagine for just a moment, in bondage to a legion of demons, <laughs> freed, who knows what the, the pain that that person, that, that vessel had experienced over how long? Who knows? Freed, and he's looking the man who freed him in the eyes. Wouldn't you want to be with that man for just a moment? This man that has just been identified as the son of God, more specifically, wouldn't you want to spend some time with him? And, and Jesus would want to spend some time with us. But here Jesus did not permit him to spend time with him, but said, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And the man went away and began to proclaim or preach in the Decapolis, which was the 10 surrounding cities, how much Jesus had done for him. And you know what everybody did? They marveled. They were amazed that this once oppressed man who was once in darkness now has been delivered out of darkness into this marvelous light. Who has changed you? Who has set you free? Who has made you this person that you have become? 
They're marveling over the transformation that they're seeing. Now, this man, he didn't go to seminary. He was unlikely to be theologically and philosophically astute. Not saying that those things are bad. But he was unlikely to have training in the truth of of what Jesus came proclaiming. Yet, he was transformed. And he went and proclaimed Jesus anyway. And maybe you feel like you don't have enough training. Maybe you feel like you don't have enough theology. Maybe you feel like, I don't know, you're not astute enough, smart enough to go and tell somebody. This guy, he came straight off the block. He was in a bad way. Jesus set him free. And Jesus said, now go tell everybody what the Lord has done for you. And we're to do the same in our lives. We're called to grow in the knowledge of Christ Jesus. I don't want to diminish that. We're going to talk about that here in just a second. We're called to grow in it. But the expectation is not that you have it all at the moment of salvation. That's something that increases over time. Your story doesn't have to be some theological discourse. Your story is simply telling how much the Lord's done for you. And that's the witness. That's the testimony that points people to Jesus. Your story builds people's faith in God's ability to restore and redeem. Whoa, he did it for you. Maybe he could do it for me. He did it for you. You think he'd do that for me? I think he'd do that for you. I really think he'd do that for you. You want to talk about it? We are called to tell our story. And you don't need to be ashamed of where you were or where you still are or what you're still dealing with. you got to remember that whatever the enemy has done in your life and is even still trying to do, whatever he has done, what he has meant for evil, but... God means it for good, that he might be glorified and that many might be saved. Your story matters and it's powerful and it's unique and people need to hear it. And I know for so many of us, one of the reasons that we don't often tell our stories is because it's painful. Any of you, I have, I have, a, I have a painful backstory. There's a lot of pain in my context. I, I've shared at times little tidbits, the more we sit in circles together, the more you hear about it. There's just a lot, of, a lot of painful things I've walked through. No more painful than any of you. Some of you have heard some of the most painful things. And I know some of you are still walking through such pain in your lives. Can I tell you that your most effective ministry will often come out of your deepest hurts? Your most powerful Witness often comes from you being vulnerable and honest about the pain you were in or even are still in, but the pain that you're allowing Christ to minister to you in to give you hope and a future. And people will find healing in your wounds. But I want to tell you something. You got to sometimes, in going and telling your story, slow down. What do I mean? Well, For those of you that feel like, you know, I'm not ready to talk about that pain in my life yet. Even if that person could be helped by that, I'm not prepared for that. I'm not in a place yet where I've got the victory. I'm not in a place yet where God's given me joy in that pain. I don't know how to talk about it in a a forward-thinking way where there's hope attached to it. I don't know yet how to talk about that. I might be able to tell them that God's been faithful, even present with me in that pain, but I'm not... I'm not out of that yet, and maybe you're not ready to talk about your story yet. Timing does matter. I I don't want to, I want to acknowledge that. Like, if you're not ready to talk about it yet, 
fine. But at some point, you have got to let your pain bring purpose to your ministry. The Second Corinthians chapter 1 says, Blessed be the God of all comfort who comforts us in our affliction that we might be comfort to others and theirs. At some point, you've got to tell people that Jesus has comforted you or is currently comforting you miraculously even in the midst of all your pain. At some point, you've got to tell people because it's what's going to bring them comfort. God uses you to accomplish that ministry in those people's lives. But also in regards to slowing down, sometimes you need to slow down and determine when's the right time to tell your story. But also, sometimes we get into a conversation with people and, and we just want to get to the good part. You, you know that meme, you know, let me skip to the good part, right? That was, that was uh, trending for a little while because that's what we like to do. We just like to skip to the good part. Let me tell you what Jesus has done. I got the victory. I got the victory. I'm, and you're dancing and, you're, and everybody's, and they're just like, I am, I feel miserable. And that's great for you. That's great. That's awesome for you. I'm really glad. It's awesome. I feel miserable. And you're over here. You keep trying to convince me not to be miserable. You keep trying to convince me that Jesus has given you the victory and he can give me the victory. And, and, and I appreciate that. I just... I'm not quite there yet. And sometimes what we really need to be spending time doing is slowing down and actually listening to where that person's at and empathizing with them. And instead of immediately trying to drag them out of their pain and drag them to this place of victory, which we want them to get to eventually, sometimes we just need to sit there with them in their pain and identify with it and, and, and feel that. And, and even try to maybe bear some of that weight with them and, and just embrace them in their pain. And we're such, we're, we're, we're so uncomfortable with pain. We're so uncomfortable with other people's suffering. We're so uncomfortable with grief. We're so uncomfortable with lament. We're so uncomfortable with these things that we can barely stand staying there. <laughs> this is kind of hurting, huh? Okay, uh, so the cross, the resurrection. Okay, we'll get there. But don't go too quick. Don't, don't diminish what people are in the middle of as you're telling your story, trying to get them out of their... Don't diminish their experience. Empathize with them and then tell how over time, through much adversity, God has healed you and given you hope. And while it's okay that they are not there yet, I do believe that God can provide that for you, and I'm standing in faith with you right now, and I'm walking with you in your pain, and, and I'm, I'm just telling you that one day this pain will change, and one day you'll be able to look back, and you will see the grace of God on your life, and you will see the hope of heaven rising up in your heart, and you will have the victory in this, but right now it's okay to suffer a little bit. I'm here. Jesus did that, and we've got to do that as well. So we start with our story now, some of us don't know how to tell our story. I'm taking a little extra time here. Some of us don't know how to tell our story, right? I think, I think it's important to just, like, have a little framework. It's, it's really easy to just say, where was I before Christ? I could tell you where I was at. I was kind of, I was kind of a mess, okay? I, you want more details? Are you ready for those? <laughs> no? Okay, I was, I was a mess. I was a mess. And one day... I got exposed to something that helped me understand that Jesus is really good at meeting people in their messes. Well, it was the word of God. I heard this 
sermon that was being taught. I was laying on a living room floor at a buddy's house and, man, getting ready to go to bed, 1.30 in the morning. And I just remember hearing that, that sermon just come on. And, and I learned right then that I couldn't fix my mess. I needed a Savior to save me from that mess. And since that day, I'm not saying that everything's changed uh, in regards to circumstances, but I am saying that I'm saved and I've got hope and I, I've given my life to Jesus. Before Christ, I met Christ. Now I've got salvation and hope in Jesus. It's that simple. It's really that simple. Now, over time, I gained more clarity about what I really understand Christ did. I understand the nature of my brokenness. I understand the dysfunction of my soul and my mind. I understand my sin nature more clearly now. And over time, that, that story, if I have the opportunity, I can add some nuance to it. I could speak more specifically to where a person's coming from because, because I understand how where they're at clearly reflects where I was at. And I know how God spoke to me and the, some of the words that he gave me and the, the idea that he, that he impressed upon my heart about what he was really doing. And I get more clarity, and maybe I can add some more detail over time. But, but if you're just starting with it, I was lost. And Jesus came to me and showed me his love. And I, I surrendered. I'm saved. And he's doing stuff in my life. I can't explain. That's a, that's a good place to start. That's your story. Now, that being said, we are called to understand more of the truth of who God is and what God has done and is still wanting to do. And so not only do we evangelize with our story, you evangelize with the truth. Growing in the knowledge of God is as important as experiencing God. Like, I feel like God spoke to me and I just, um, you know, just, I just decided that uh, he loves me. And, uh, man, I just, that, that's all I got. And that's good. But really what's happening there? Like, really, what's going on? Well, 2 Peter 3.17 says, You beloved, you beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and what? Knowledge of God, your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever until the day of eternity. Amen. At some point, if you don't solidify what you believe, solidify your faith, not only can you be derailed, can you be de taken away from the confession you can, you can be distracted from, misunderstand, etc., and that can be harmful. But now the enemy is robbing you of the opportunity to actually confess the truth, to proclaim the truth. So it's important that once you've, you've surrendered your life to Jesus, that then you begin to grow in knowledge. Knowing what you believe and why you believe it does help you effectively evangelize and disciple people. Like I said, your story might now get more nuanced. And now you're able to say, oh, we come from a similar place. Let me tell you about how God showed me this truth out of his word. Oh, man, you've got broken family. Let me tell you about, do you mind, may I? May I tell you about somebody and a story that I found in the Bible that has impacted me so profoundly? Is that okay? Yeah, cool. Joseph, man, Joseph, his brothers really, they did a number on him. And they abandoned him and he experienced rejection and imprisonment and Man, it sounds a lot like what you've been walking through. And Man, you know how that story ends? Can I just tell you? I'm encouraged all the time when I think about that. See, I've got more nuance in how I'm reaching that person now because I know more truth. And so we, we want to have our story. We want to grow in truth. 1 Peter 3.15 says, In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. 
right? You got to know something about God to know that he's holy, right? So if we're going to honor him as holy, got to know he's holy. Honor him as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you. What hope? The hope of salvation, the hope of the gospel, this living hope that we just sung about. This is the hope that's in us. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect. And that brings us really to the next topic, the next thing and the last thing that I'm going to bring to you about how we evangelize. You know, this idea of gentleness, respect, I think one of the reasons that that the church has gotten such a bad name is not because of Jesus himself. I think people are actually more interested in Jesus than we realize. I think people are less interested in us. I think they're less interested in the way that we talk about Jesus. I think they're less interested in the way that we love others. I think they're less interested in our tone and our candor. I think they're less interested with our lack of empathy and compassion. I think they're less interested with that. They're not less interested in Jesus. Jesus is completely amazing. They just need a good representation of Jesus. And, and so, so, yes, do it with gentleness and respect. And ultimately, you evangelize by the way you live. You evangelize by the way you live. First Peter chapter 2 says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, right? And, I'm, and I'm, I'm just standing here today as your pastor with the same sentiment. Beloved, I urge you, I urge you to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Do you know that people will speak against you as a believer? Do you know that we might walk through persecution at some point? We're like one of the few nations in the world that isn't experiencing it at a higher level. That might not last forever. It's already visible in so many places. Like, you could experience people that, that bring animosity towards you simply because of the confession that you have. I follow Jesus. And, and what we're intended to do here is keep our conduct honorable amongst those people. Not backbiting. Jesus, Jesus was despised. He didn't despise back. We, we, We've got to be gentle. We've got to be respectful. And when we are, people will see our good deeds and they'll glorify God on the day of visitation. You know what that day is? The day he returns. Until Jesus returns. We're doing this. Every day you are behind the pulpit of your life. Your conduct matters. My conduct matters. Not just because I'm a pastor and I have to put on and have a good reputation. My conduct matters because I'm an ambassador of Christ and I'm representing him. It's so much bigger than the institution. It's so much bigger than your position. It's so much bigger than what we think about so many times. Our, our testimony matters a lot. And we're not going to be perfect and I don't want to put that on you. As a matter of fact, I have chosen to expect that not only will I not be perfect, but I expect that you will not be perfect. <laughs> You're going to mess up. I'm going to mess up. We're all going to get in our flesh sometimes. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit. We're going to equip one another with knowledge. We're going to disciple one another in these truths. We're going to grow in these things, in our practice, in our ability. And we're going to learn how to walk in the giftings of the, the Holy Spirit more, you know, meticulously and intentionally. But, but at the end of the day, we just need his power. We need his presence. Because my flesh is going to rise up and I'm going to become apathetic and I'm going to become lazy at times and I'm going to be more self-interested than I am in my neighbor. 
I'm going to be more interested in my affairs than I am in those of the lost. I'm going to be more interested in self-preservation when somebody's unkind to me, and I'm going to want to justify myself, and I'm going to want to be unkind back because my flesh rises up. You know what wages war against the flesh? His spirit. We need his spirit. If we're to not be fleshly in our testimony to the world, then there's other people's flesh because people do flesh out, like I said. And, and I just want to say it again. Look, don't have unrealistic expectations of the people that are in your life. They're going to act a fool. We all do in some way at some point. But if you have expectations that they be at some thing, some level, then when they do that, not only will you be disappointed, but you'll be offended and you won't be able to love them well. Compassion says, oh, they're going to mess up and I'm going to mess up because we do that. And so I want eyes of compassion for people so that when their flesh rises up, well, you know where that comes from? The ability to see with the eyes of Jesus, his Holy Spirit in us. We're going to do ministry in hard places where people are resistant to your story, where they are resistant to the truth of the gospel, where they are maybe even just so broken and, and, and so hurt that, that they can't even hear the truth, that they don't even want to listen to their story because they're so broken in their own lives. You know what we need? We need the gift of the Holy Spirit to give us discernment as to what that person needs to hear. We need the Holy Spirit to stir a word of knowledge in our hearts to know what that person needs from us so we can serve them well. Whether it's space, hey, <laughs> I'll come back later. Or it's encouragement, or it's correction, or a challenge, or a specific met. They, they, we need to know what that person needs, and the only way we could ever know is if the Holy Spirit helps us. What about fearing the wrong person? Do you know how many times I haven't gone to tell somebody the truth or haven't been as bold in my faith because I feared that I'd either say the wrong thing, I feared myself and my inadequacy, or I feared how that person would receive what I said. I feared rejection. I feared that they didn't want to hear or have anything that I had to offer. I was fearing the wrong person. I needed to be fearing God. And God says go. And if I really do fear God, and I mean in the right way, I mean with a holy reverent honor, then, then I'm going to honor that rather than that, that lie in my head that says you're not good enough to tell your story or you don't know enough to tell them the truth. I reject that, and I'm going to honor God. We need his Holy Spirit so we can go in his strength, not ours, so we can go in boldness, so we can go with his giftings. And you know what? He does promise that he will be present with us all along the way. He says in Matthew 28, 20, right after he gave the Great Commission, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He's calling us to go, but he said you don't have to go alone. I'm with you, and I'll never leave you nor forsake you. That's his promise. That's the truth. And I know that to be true because it became part of my story when he's never left me. And so I can confidently tell others that. And so, again, how long do we evangelize? Well, to the end of the age? How about this? We evangelize until Jesus returns. 
We evangelize until Jesus returns. This is something we don't stop doing. This is something that we don't take breaks from. And, and Amy, you know, might sometimes wish I'd take a break because we're up in the grocery store and just over there chatting it up, trying to, trying to find the end, you know. And, and then sometimes I do take a break and Amy's over there praying for somebody. And we're just supposed to keep going, looking for the people that God has sent us to go after. And, and sometimes I don't because I'm in my flesh. But we're supposed to be doing this until Jesus returns. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to pray for some opportunities to tell our story. We're going to pray for some opportunities to lovingly, gently, respectfully tell people the truth. We're going to pray for opportunities to live this out in front of people in a way that actually impacts their lives, that inspires them, that causes them to want to know more of this Jesus that we serve. We're going to pray for that today. And then more specifically, we're going to pray maybe for one, two, three people. Think of them right now, names of people that are in your life that you want God to give you an opportunity to tell them about the good news to or to share your story with or, or to where you can just live in a way, serve in a way, serve them even specifically in a way that will reflect the, the kindness of their God that's calling them home. We're going we're gonna to ask God to take those names then and give you opportunities to reach them with the gospel. So take a second, think about that. Who's a person, two people, three people? It might be a family member. It, it, it might be that coworker, that colleague. It might be an employee. It might be an employer. Oh, but you don't know, Pastor Stephen. That guy's hard on me. Yeah, those are, those are the ones that, that God likes to send us to sometimes. Who are those names? Let's pray. Father, we come before you right now. God, we thank you that somebody came to us. You sent not only your son, but you sent an ambassador of the kingdom of God to us to preach the good news to us. Somebody told us, and now we're here, Lord, and we want to be used to tell others. We want to be faithful to this call of God on our lives. Lord, I'm asking now, God, that you would stir in our hearts to where we're supposed to go, to whom we're supposed to go, when we're supposed to go, how we're supposed to go, Lord. God, we want to go with a testimony of your grace and your mercy in our lives. We want to go with a testimony of your goodness and kindness. We want to go with a testimony of this future hope and glory that we have. God, we are desperate for you to show up in power in our lives and through us because there's people in our lives that need you. Our children need you, Lord. Our spouses need you, God. God, our neighbors need you. God, those people that we work with, they need you just like we need you. And we would be so humbled and so honored if, if you would just teach us to, to walk on this firm foundation that you have given us in Christ Jesus, to walk in confidence and boldness and courage, telling our story, declaring the truth. And living in a way that's worthy of the call of God on our lives. Come on, church, just lift those people up. Maybe even say their name if, if they're not sitting next to you. Lord, just those people that they're lifting up to you right now, God. God, I pray that you go before them. God, that you soften those people's hearts. And that you would, that you would help us see them in their pain. That you would help us see them in their brokenness. God, that you would help us see their need, Lord, and that we would be faithful to speak to it, God. 
Whoever it is that, that these friends and family are lifting up in here right now, God, I pray, God, that, that you would save them and that you would use us to do it. Lord, there's people in this room maybe that might even need a touch from you, that might not have ever surrendered their life to you. God, if there's someone in this room right now that, that needs salvation from you, that needs forgiveness, Holy Spirit, save them. Give them the faith to believe what you're doing. Help them to know that it's you and your great infinite love that's calling them home right now, Lord. Someone in this room is responding to your loving call on their lives, Lord. If that's you and, and you just sense maybe a little weight, maybe a little emotion, maybe, 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 maybe you don't sense any of that and you're just hearing me and you're saying, I think that's me. All you have to do is say, Lord, I surrender. You could just say that out loud if you'd like. Lord, I surrender. I want salvation. I want to know you. I want to be changed by you. Save me. I want to live for you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. This is your prayer. You can say it with your mouth. You can say it in your heart. This is your prayer. Fill me with your Holy Spirit that I might serve you for all the days of my life. I thank you for it now. In Jesus' name. And God, we just, we humble ourselves. We remember, Lord, that it's not for us. It's not for our visibility. It's not to exalt us. We might be humbled so that you might be exalted, Lord. We want you to be exalted as we tell people the truth, as we tell our stories, as we tell our testimony. Church, come on, stand to your feet. We're going to worship Jesus. Lord, we want to we wanna lift you up in this place one more time because you are worthy. And we have all confidence that you are good. That is the confession of our hearts, Lord. And so we just lift up a song of praise that this is our testimony, that you have set us apart from the darkness and brought us into your marvelous light. In Jesus' name, amen.